Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful, fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling spring. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked, wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So I'm going to go a little bit out of order with the Advent season. I know that today is the Sunday of hope for the Advent season, uh, but we're going to start with a question of what is joy? What does it mean to have joy? I think it's a word that we use quite often, uh, especially during the holiday season. It's a word that we use uh, quite often in the church. We hear it uh, throughout scripture. Psalm 95, uh, for instance, gives us the charge to enter the house of the Lord singing songs of praise and songs of joy. So what does it mean to have joy, uh, to be joyful? Um, Webster's Dictionary, for example, defines joy as a feeling of great happiness and great pleasure. And I think that's how most of us would define joy. I think most of us would define joy as a feeling of being elated, a feeling of a feeling that's different than happiness in the sense that it's much more, we're, we're very happy. Um, and so how do we make sense of this command to be joyful, to enter the house of the Lord with sounds of joy, if all joy is is just a feeling of being really happy? Because how do we as Christians make sense of what joy is, knowing all too well the realities of this world, knowing that there are times when we're not all that happy, knowing that one moment we can be really happy and then in an instant, out of nowhere, we can get a phone call with the news of a loss of a loved one, or a routine doctor's visit can bring a 
devastating diagnosis. So how do we make sense of this command to be joyful in all things, to always sing songs of joy, if all joy is, is really just a feeling of being very happy. Because I think what happens if we root our joy in a feeling of happiness, then when we're faced with things that don't make us so happy, then we just kind of grit our teeth and get through it. But I don't think that's really what we're called to live with when we are called to live with joy. The world at the time of Isaiah's message here in Isaiah 35 is not a joyous world. The nation of Israel has split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Division and sin are running rampant, rampant among God's people. And Isaiah comes along, and his message is both a message of judgment and of repentance because of the sin and evil that is throughout the world. Just before Isaiah's prophecy, the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed as a result of their evil and idolatry. And so even if we look at today's passage in the full context of where it is in the book of Isaiah, for example, if we go back to Isaiah 34, we see that God's judgment and wrath are coming upon a sinful nation. It's not a joyous message. But then, in chapter 35, we have a different picture painted. In many Bibles, chapter 35 is labeled the joy of the redeemed. And so in one chapter, chapter 34, you have God's vengeance and wrath coming upon a sinful nation. And then in chapter 35, you have this message of joy for the redeemed. And it opens up with a description of the desert and of parched land says the desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. I have some pictures of desert and parched land. Um, this is from the Qumran and Dead Sea region in Israel. I had the opportunity to be there this time uh, last year. And this is the type of scenery that this message, that this passage is talking about. This desert, this parched land, will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. It's a dry and des desolate place, but God has promised to transform it. God is saying through his people, through Isaiah to his people, that he will come and meet them in this desert, in this dry and desolate land that they find themselves in. And he will transform this place where they're at. He will make it burst abundantly with life. So there is no joy apart from God because only God can come
to a land that is dry and desolate and make it burst with life. And then in verses 3 and 4, we have a charge to be strong, to strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. So God here is promised to come and transform this dry and desolate land. But in the meantime, he has sent the message to be strong, to rest assured on what God has promised to do. So it switches from what God will do to the way we should be in the present. Isaiah knows that the, the first way to strengthen his people is through their spirit. And so he is reminding them to, to be strong and to stay strong in the promises of God. Joy is being strong in the promises of the Lord despite the present circumstances. And then in verse 7, we read, The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and pathways will grow. Once again, Isaiah has switched from switched back into the wilderness picture. And so he is promising again what God will do in this dry and desolate land. So not only will God come and transform this place where his people are, not only has he promised to give them strength, but he's also promised them to sustain them, to give them what they need to continue to live in the land that they are. So joy is not just resting assured on what God will do in the future. Joy is also resting assured on what God is doing in the present, the way in which he is sustaining his people for life in the present. At no point in Isaiah 35 is there anything out of reach of God's control? What we see in Isaiah chapter 35 is all of the ways that God will go to transform the area, the places that his people are at. And it, Isaiah 35 says, and a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of the holiness. So not only has God promised to give his people this land that will burst abundantly with life, but he's also promised a way to him, a way to lead his people to him, to Zion, the place where he dwells. In all things, God is sovereign. And in Isaiah 35, we see the transforming power of the joy that we have in him. In Isaiah 35, we read of how joy is both future and present, of how we rest assured in what God will do, but we stay strong in the present because we know of what God is doing in us and through us. 
in the not-so-distant future for the people of Judah. They'll be taken captive at the hands of the Babylonians. And from this message in Isaiah 35, it will be close to 700 years before the promised Messiah comes. The world for them is dark, and it's getting even darker. But then the joy we celebrate this Advent season came to them through an infant's pride, fully God and fully human. And he dwelt among this dry and desolate wilderness, and the joy he brought was a promise. It was a promise that said he had come so that others may have abundant life. He came for the weak, the neglected, the hopeless, and he brought joy in his strength, and he sustained his followers. He fed 5,000 with just a loaf and a fish. And he taught that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word from God. God, through his Son, brought the message of his kingdom, a message of repentance and of forgiveness of sin, a message labeled blasphemous. And they crucified him. And on the cross, the world got the darkest, the most dry, the most desolate it had ever been. But for the joy set before him, as we're reminded in the book of Hebrews, he endured the cross, scoring its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him, Joy in both Isaiah 35 and for Jesus, both the present and the future. Joy says, Henry now, is what makes life worth living. But for many, joy seems hard to find. They complain that their lives are sorrowful and depressing. What then brings joy? Are some people just lucky? while others have run out of luck. Strange as it may sound, we can choose joy. Two people can be part of the same event, but one may choose to live it quite differently than the other. One may choose to trust that what happened, painful as it may be, holds a promise. The other may choose despair and be destroyed by it. One may choose to trust that what happened Painful as it may be, holds a promise. Joy trusts that what happened on the cross, painful as it was, holds a promise. Joy is a promise that says, if God can take a horrible, painful death on the cross and work it together for good, then he can come to us in our most dry and desolate wilderness. And he can take that and transform whatever it is that we are facing, no matter how dry and desolate our wilderness is. He can transform us and strengthen us, sustain us, and lead us. Romans 8.11 reminds us, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. 
then he who raised Jesus Christ will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, the transforming power that we have is the Holy Spirit. Let's remember that for the people of Israel, the wilderness is where God called them. The wilderness is where God led them and formed them into his people. So the wilderness here is as much geographical as it is spiritual. For us, our, our souls, our spirits are like dry, desolate wilderness before Christ. But through his, the power of his Holy Spirit, he dwells within us and transforms this dry and desolate place and makes it burst abundantly with life. That is the joy that we find in Christ through all things. I work at a Christian nonprofit that some of you may have heard of. It's called Feed My Starving Children. And what we do is we pack uh, reinforced or scientifically designed food for uh, malnourished kids throughout the whole world, uh, mostly in third world countries. And the stories that come back from missionaries and partners that we send our food to is that these kids will come weak and just worn out from lack of food. And they'll come, and as soon as they have this food, they're, they're smiling in line as they're waiting. And they're, they're, they have nothing. They, they are weak, and they are skinny. And once they have this meal, they're given hope. And this food is delivered to them and to their orphanages. And it transforms the way that they live because once they can, now they can uh, focus more on school. They can, their families don't have to worry about what, where their next meal is coming from. And that is, that is the transformational power that joy does to us in the same way. It takes our dry, desolate souls, it takes our weak and feeble knees our bodies and transforms us and strengthens us so that we can go out into this world and be the joy that we are called to be. I think maybe mixing up joy with happiness is what causes us to misunderstand what joy is. Perhaps if we looked at it as joy and hope, being synonymous. We have joy because of our hope, and we have hope because of our joy. Joy in this Advent season, as we await Christ's return, is how we respond in light of this promise that He has come once, and He has promised to come again. Joy is not a byproduct of happiness but rather a byproduct of our faith in Jesus Christ. Joy is the transforming power of God, working both within ourselves and the world around us. And when we understand this, when we understand the transforming power of God through Jesus, 
we are freed from our sin to respond with rejoicing, both to God and in the world around us. It is through joy that we become the witness of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And as Romans 8, 35-39 reminds us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or danger, or sword? Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things we have been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the joy we have been given to light up this dark world that we live in, to transform this dry and desolate wilderness that we are in.